Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. In this episode, we catch up with Corinne Hill, Director of the Chattanooga Public Library. Corinne and I talk about how moving the community to the center of everything led Chattanooga to be one of the best in the world. We discuss the need for bringing on good people and the value of great employees moving on. We also cover how the pandemic was an opportunity to increase program attendance, have librarians express their creativity, and better serve a community. Corinne, how are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Um, you and I have known each other um, quite a bit. I think we first met when you were the interim director in Dallas Public Library. That is uh, correct. And since then, uh, you've moved to Chattanooga. And I have to say, overseeing a, one of the, the biggest and I think most successful transformations of a public library system uh, in terms of both modernizing it, in terms of uh, shifting access, uh, shifting it really to a community focus, and and building a national and international reputation for a good public library. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And I know that doesn't happen um, with one person sitting in an office. Can you talk a little bit, um, just sort of setting the scene, talk a little bit about when you got into Chattanooga, what did you feel you needed to put in place to, to push the library? So, um, so <laughs> wow. Um, there was so much that needed to be done and there was so much low hanging fruit, um, that, 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 you know, that it was, it was crazy. Like, where do you begin? Um, but I, I did know what I needed, uh, more than anything was the right people around me. Um, I had to build my own team and I also needed to find out what I had with regards to talent already on the team. Like, what did I, what, what were my weaknesses and what did I need help with? And look for people with those skill sets to come in. And so essentially what I did, and, and I, I took some, some heat for this, but, you know, it, it's, it was the only way I could figure out to do it. So I created um, a, a group that we met every week and I called it our leadership team. And essentially, I had anyone who supervised someone who was in a leadership role in that library currently, and we would meet every week, which meant every single librarian, like they were every, even if they were just supervising one person, like every every professional librarian in that in that in that in that system had a leadership role. So it was a huge group and it was ridiculous how huge it was. But what I did, which was pointed out to me, to, as some thought it was rather cruel, but um, it was what I was working with, that if you weren't bringing anything to the table, I would just tell you you didn't have to come back next week. Um, yeah, it was, you know, looking back, it was a little, it was a little harsh. But I had to find a way to weed people out, and um, what I ended up with was a very, very small group. Of, of people who were in leadership positions, probably, I went, probably went from 25 down to maybe three who were really on the bus and like really saw what, what it was I was trying to accomplish, which was this, we exist to serve our public, period. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing, there's no discussion here. That is why we exist. We don't exist for the collections. We don't exist for the, for the 
you know, the, the almighty, you know, right information, correct information. Um, we're not about, we're not going to train the public to use us the way that we want. We're not a research facility. Um, how do we serve the public? And so I had about three people who, who really understood that. So then I started like calling people like you and June Garcia and people I knew who, who really had their pulse on, on, on folks who were coming up through the profession to find folks who I could bring in to, to help me do this and certainly help me in areas where I didn't have the answers. Like I had the vision, but I knew what I wanted, but I needed somebody to help me get there. And so then I, so I brought in a, a really spectacular team. They were extremely creative. Um, they were amazing. Um, but I also learned that extremely creative people come with a whole different set of issues um, um, as you're moving through and really just blew the place up. I mean, you know, um, when I came in, the best example, one of the best examples I have is that they did not spend money, they did not spend operating money on bestsellers as a public library. And they had a reference collection, the likes of which I didn't see at my university. I mean, it, it was tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in a, in a collection that was like, wow. So um, I, you know, I implement, so anyway, I turned around and said, no, 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 we don't buy references. We're not, I had to do that whole, like, which now seems like so 101, right? <laughs> um, it almost seems ridiculous to talk about it, but like really trying to shift that focus to, no, people actually want to read, you know, this. They really do want to read Daniel Steele and no, we really should buy that for them because they were making people pay rentals and then they would use the rental money to buy the best sellers, hmm. right? So it was all very wackadoodle. Um, and well, then we have when you when you shifted that because that that's one of the stories that I, really stuck with me. When you shifted the idea, I believe how it was phrased is, if we get a interlibrary loan request, the answer is buy it. You know, yeah. the, right? And if we get a request for a book, the answer is buy it. And yeah. so our collection strategy is what the community wants, buy it. Exactly. And we still have, um, we still, we're now spending about a hundred thousand dollars a year of our $500,000 book budget on patron requests. So the part that's frustrated me though about that, and it's held steady at about a hundred thousand. Um, what's frustrated me about that was my hope had been that my buyers would begin to identify trends and reading, you know, reading trends amongst our community and get ahead of the game. Mm. So you would know, like, gardening is hot and this author is hot and, you know, every, you know, over and over and that I don't want the people to have to request it. I want us to actually be able to foresee that right. we have leadership for this and they've never gotten there. Hmm. And but one of the things that's helped is we we invested in that Collection HQ software. Yeah. Which, which really, really um, shifted the needle for us. Um, and we use their ESP product, which tells us this is what's going out and this is where you need to add and this is where it needs to go. So we went from a 16% dead on arrival hmm. when our librarians were choosing materials 
implemented Collection HQ and went down to 6%. So just to be clear, dead on arrival means you bought it, but it doesn't circulate? Ever, yeah. Ever. No one even touches it. They don't even take it. It doesn't even get like an in-house an in-house count where they like take it off and sit down and read the, the cover jacket. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I mean, yeah, it's a book. It's a doorstop, right? It's it, it's yeah. So so that was a really good thing. And and then what really, really helped. And I think what what helped the staff finally get on board with it was um, for the first time ever in our history, we surpassed a million serfs about three or four years ago. And it was like, look, this stuff's moving. You are actually, you know, you are actually moving stuff out of this building. People are, people are using this. <laughs> so, so that, that kind of helped. But the other thing I had to do, I had to do really, really intensive um, customer service training. And I paid an outside, outside vendor, an outside training, corporate training company. I brought in hotel professionals. Um, you know, it's like, I've never had a bad experience at a Marriott ever, you know, and I travel a lot. And I, so I got, a, I have a friend who actually is with the Marriott and she came in and did hospitality training. Hmm. Like when, like how far away should they be before you make eye contact when you nod, when you say, I mean, like at, at three feet, at, at, you know, come in the door at three feet at, you know, two feet. Ba 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 ba, and like took them all through that, and really did this intense to go from. I had a staff who would simply say, and I hear this from the public all the time, that the biggest thing that the public that I hear from the public when I'm out and about in the streets, and I'm out and about in the streets a lot. I'm a huge. I'm very engaged in this community, and what I hear is, "Wow, before you came, I'd go to that library, and all they would tell me was no." No, I can't do that. No, I can't do No, we can't get that for you. No, I can't. And they said, now they drop everything. And it, it's like, how do we get to yes? Hmm. What do we need to do to get to yes? And so we're in a community where the people who live within the city limits of Chattanooga get a library card for free because we're city funded. If you live in the county, you have to pay, right? And helping like the that customer service training, like helping people, like here's how we can help you get a library card, you know, and you need to call, and here's your county commissioner who you need to call because this isn't our fault. You don't pay for this. This is not free. So so that whole customer service, like, and giving, like we do annual awards for customer service, um, it and became our mantra. Like we are here to serve. Hmm. And that translates for me that, I just want you to be nice. That's all I want. I just want you to be nice. Well, it's interesting because, you know, collection development and collection stuff often thought of back of the house and what does community engagement and community relations have to do with that? But clearly everything, right? Everything. Everything. This is all their stuff. And so now we have, um, we have a makerspace that is still really, really heavily used. Um, and it's beloved in this city. It is beloved. I mean, the businesses who do, who use it, who, I mean, it's, it's insane. And the thing that we do there is we take requests for what piece of equipment, if you, what piece of equipment are we missing? What are we missing? Write it down, put it in the box, <laughs> right? 
um, email me when you think of it. And once a year, because we get money from the state, we get that LSTA money. Mm -hmm. We will use that money. We'll go through what everybody wished they had. And whoever, whichever piece of equipment gets the most votes, we buy it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, customer service, community outreach, community engagement looks different, I'm sure, by the level uh, within the organization, meaning someone who's working the desk, two feet, six feet, eye contact, you know, the notion of, of that direct connection on okay. a transaction. Um, but I imagine as director, you have a different sort of view. You say you're out and about and engaged in the community. And a couple of things struck me. One, when you were in, in Dallas, the idea that you know, the library provided Wi-Fi for the the airport, not the main, mm-hmm. which airport? I forget. Love Field. Thank you. Love Field. Um, and, you know, put markings everywhere. Um, I'm also thinking at Chattanooga, Chattanooga as a city. I mean, you were, you were, bring, you were sort of shifting and moving the library, but the city itself was attempting to shift and change to the idea of being well-connected startups and entrepreneurship, you know, why move to Atlanta when you can move to Chattanooga, have a better quality of life and just as good access to the internet for remote working and better. Well, and that's actually part of it, right? The, the, the city turned to you with the um, gigabit loop and said, we have this bandwidth. What are we doing? Is that, am I getting that story somewhat right? Yeah. I mean, and, and they, you know, and so the the we have we have I think the perfect model for high speed broadband delivery, um, and that is this is treated as a utility and it is run by the municipal um, government in the form of the electric power board, mm. um, which is an agency kind of like how I am like I'm not a true city department unless it's convenient for me and then if it's convenient <laughs> for the department. But if it's not convenient, and the, and the mayor's office does the same thing. Well, you know, Corinne, you're a city department. I'm like, no, I'm not. I have a board. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, you know, we both play both sides of the fence. And EPB is very similar, right, in that they have a board, et cetera. And so it's treated as a utility. And so um, uh, so my, my electri- I pay my electric bill and my Internet access bill to the same person. Um, that in and of itself takes away a lot of the um, um, roadblocks that come with having to have a conversation with um, AT&T and Verizon and those guys. So, you know, it was very, like my predecessor, basically what EPB did was, it's the greatest example, I think, of of what um, what innovation really is when you're solving one problem and then you find out you can solve another. So it was purely serendipity. Um, the um, Electric Power Board, EPB, was rebuilding the um, infrastructure for electricity in the city because it was it was it didn't work. Okay, so and then they decided they were going to build a smart grid. They were just going to go. We're doing it. We might as well. And this was pre two thousand and eight. So they had like this 10-year plan to build this smart grid. Well, then 2008 hit, and then 2009, Obama came in with the um, shovel-ready stimulus um, funding. funding. So they went to the feds. The feds funded the whole bloody thing. They finished it in like two years. Hmm. So they did this whole smart grid. And then um, Harold Dupriest, who was CEO at the time, said, holy crap, we can provide internet access on this. Who knew we can do this? 
And so they went up against Comcast sued them, I want to say three or four times mm-hmm. to prevent them from doing that. And the mayor who hired me was just like, bring it on. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Sue me again. Sue me again because we're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. And to their credit, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still fight. Like, we, we can't go outside our boundaries of our city limits um, because of all the laws of Comcast and all that stuff. But we can do what we want here. So anyway, my predecessor opted when they were running fiber to every office and every home. Whether you wanted the service or not, they were running wire to it, right? And then when new bills automatically had fiber run to them. So when um, um, when I came in, my predecessor had specifically asked not to have fiber run to the library buildings because it wasn't necessary. Wow. Because I walked into rules that you couldn't, like if you had did public access in, a, in at the library, you couldn't use Facebook. You couldn't use, you couldn't, oh, no, uh-uh, no, because you know what? That's for pleasure. We're a research institution. No pleasure here. No <laughs> pleasure here. Not happening. So so anyway, um, and, and of course, how did I find this out? I tried to get on my Facebook page at work. I'm like, what do you mean I can't get my Facebook page? <laughs> but I decided this. So anyway, I EPB is right on the catty corner of, of my building, right? The, their their main office. So I trotted on over there. Been in the been in the city like two weeks, right? <laughs> I hoof it on up to the Harold the Priest's office. <laughs> so I'm like, I'd like to speak with Harold. And they're like, and you are? And I said, I'm Corinne. I'm the new librarian in town, just across the street. And Harold, bless his heart, said, Come on in, Corinne. What's going on? I said, Well, I don't have any fiber in my building. I can't do my job. And he was like, Well, your predecessor didn't want it. And I said, Well, he's gone. <laughs> I want it. So here's the funny part. My, I'm looking out my office like two days later, and there are these EPB crews tearing up the road outside my building. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? What's going on down there? They're, right? I'm all up in it. I'm all up in it. And so send somebody down to go ask them what they're doing. And they come back, and they said, they're running fiber to the building. <laughs> it two took days. him two days to do that, right? <laughs> So, so anyway, it's, and then it became, how does an anchor institution serve the community with high-speed broadband when we have people who cannot afford, even at our low rates, how do we, how do we deliver? How important is it for us to have high-speed broadband in our public libraries? Because believe it or not, there is still a huge gap. And like, even with, like I pay $58 a month for a gig in my apartment. Right. And but that's a lot of diapers. Yeah. That buys a lot of diapers. So so we still had that gap. And so we really framed it around the the library as an anchor institution in the community who can deliver high speed broadband to the community um, who for people who cannot who do not have access. And so and we went and we immediately went to um, high speed wireless. Immediately, we just did it on our fourth floor, but we went immediately to high-speed wireless, which allowed us to do things in the city that no one else could do. Like we could do all of those contests where you tweet up or tweet down and and vote on you know projects and all of that startup kind of stuff. People who wanted funding, you come in and you give your pitch, and then everybody votes. So we were able to do that kind of stuff, which no one else in the city could do, and. Um, and now the city's full of places like that. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't do those anymore. Our space is, is not as nice as the corporate spaces, but we open that door. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, and because, and that actually leads into a series of other questions. When you had mentioned the idea of putting your people in the place, because that fourth floor, as I recall, was more or less storage. That they got. Oh, yeah. It was hoarding. It was hoarding. <laughs> is what it was. So hoarding. clearing it out, making it a high bandwidth, making it flexible space, making it more or less sort of of the startup design at the time and you had people like nate hill and you had people like meg bacchus and you had a lot of people who said let's bring in the mozilla foundation and now we can host these sort of national and international players and this can be a place they can do that yep um my question is one all the names i just mentioned are no longer at the library because they've taken leadership positions elsewhere for one reason i mean you, you know everyone moves on and and that's, you know, talking with a few library directors that when innovative libraries, when leading libraries come in, the expectation is you get really good people and then you lose really good people to, uh -huh. to the rest of the profession. But the assumption is that just means it's an opportunity to bring in new and people. Yeah, you bring in more good people. But you know what else it's an opportunity to do? It's an opportunity to observe what's happened during that person's tenure. And again, you don't want to hire that. You don't want to hire that person in another body. Mm. You want to bring in someone who's got different ideas, who looks at it a little bit differently, who says, have you thought of, hmm. why don't we do this? So now all of a sudden, like we, um, we started to like, when you change it's such an opportunity when really good people move on to hire another good person. And the thing is, it's easier because a good person came in and moved up in the world, right? And I don't have a problem being a launch pad, right? Right? I'm good with that. Go on, go on and conquer. Off you go. Good for you. Then you have someone who's really eager and has this, you know, but has a, is looking at it differently. So they come in and say, they just don't pick up where that person left off. They now begin to reinvent. They become, they place differently in the community than that person did, right? And then all of a sudden, you've got a whole new group of people coming in. And they're saying, have you realized we're not doing blah, blah, blah? And, and the next thing you know, you've got this fabulous place and with fabulous new stuff, with fabulous new people coming in. And I think I'm on my third, wait, third person managing that fourth floor, maybe my fourth managing that fourth floor. And we continue to, like I said, we add equipment every year based on what the community is asking us for. You know, the only one that I really just like, I had to like, you know, kind of keep my mouth shut because the community gets to choose, right? Um, I don't get to say no. Because <laughs> I think it's stupid, right? Because I think it's stupid. An oversized laminator. Ah. And I was like, "Excuse me, what? 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 Like, who laminates anymore? <laughs> like, seriously, people are laminating." But you know what? That bloody piece of equipment is in use all the time. So it shows you what I know, right? Which is why I hire good people. Protect the posters. And I listen to, and I listen to my community. That's what they wanted. You know, what do I know? We'll return to our interview in just a moment. 
First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. So, following up on this a little bit, um, listening to your community, um, creating these relationships with folks with broadband, creating, you know, having a good relationship with the board, having a good relationship with the mayor. I mean, all of that I hear, putting the community at the center makes you change your thinking um, and, and how you do it. I'm wondering, as you develop a reputation, um, as we talk about the library being a launch pad, is there a, it's important, for example, to bring ideas in outside of the community. It's important yep. also to build the reputation of the library by going outside of the community. I mean, you and, you know, second in command and your, you know, frontline librarians, if they're presenting at a conference across the country, that actually helps the library. Do yep. you have a hard time making that case? No, no, I don't. Um, you know, it's, um, I mean, it's if a community member knocks on your door and says, I just noticed that you flew someone out to California to participate in the California Library Association. Why are taxpayer dollars doing that? What's the well, response? First of all, well, I'm going to take that back. Um, my travel, I pay with my friends group, but my staff travel, I do pay through operating, which is taxpayer dollars. And I, I put it under, under the umbrella of professional development that it's really critical for staff to see how other libraries are run, that they see that they meet other librarians who have similar issues and problems that they have conversations with, that they have people they can call when they have an issue um, that they're trying to solve, that they create um, a network and, a, and a, um, a, a group of people around them who are really smart so that they're not trying to solve problems in a, in a silo. Um, and, I also think it's really difficult to um, it's really difficult to beat something up if it's going well, hmm. right? So you know the example that I always use um, whenever I get that. So I am my when I first got there, I am my the person who was the children's coordinator, and she still is the children's coordinator. We went to a children's space workshop in Copenhagen that the friends group paid for. Okay. So when I came, when we came back, we came back with this whole idea and we spent a week together and all we did was talk about children's spaces. We went over to, to Malmo and saw their tween space and what they were doing. I mean, it was just, so we were just like for a week. So I had a second floor. The second floor of my building, of my downtown building, was nothing other than nonfiction books shelved. That's all it was. And it was not staffed. And no one went up and, like, no one browsed that collection, okay? So what we did was decide on this trip that we were going to create a downtown branch, weed that nonfiction collection, move it into the first floor. That first floor was gonna be our downtown branch, but that second floor, which was about 14,000 square feet, was gonna become zero to 18. Hmm. 
and we opened it wide up, like just like we do with the makerspace. Hall, it was just wide open space, and the, every time I go down there, I'm horrified. I absolutely <laughs> horrified. And and the the youth librarians had to had to convince me that this was the that the youth folk the kids create their own culture and their own space right because they're decorating and they're painting and they're doing and oh my god it looks like and you know I'm more of a a Noel Herman Miller person right <laughs> and so I go down there and it just it looks like your father's basement oh. you know, it, it's exactly what it looks like it looks like a basement down there with crap everywhere and stuff everywhere and it's packed and it's packed so i tell and and it is beloved like people oh the second floor where i can take my kids and you know if you're an adult you need to be accompanied by a child to be up there hmm. so there's also a safety feature there too right so so anyway when people fuss at me i'm like do you know how we got to that second floor copenhagen that's how we got to that second floor that was nonfiction, not used 14,000 square feet of this building. And it looked like a traditional library. I said, but that trip, us, the two of us being together, meeting new people, seeing different libraries outside of our own space, and hearing ideas from people from other countries who are doing this really well, this is what we came back with and look at the success we've had with it. Hmm. And I think when you can do that, um, I, I think that makes it really, it, it's hard to argue with you. So when PLA was in Nashville, I sent, I sent out an email. I did. My staff sent out an email to all staff and said, if you want to go to the Public Library Association conference in Nashville, please respond by this date and tell us why you want to go. I had 23 people respond to the email that they wanted to attend, full-time and part-time. Every single one of them went to PLA. Hmm. Um, paid for by the, well, we paid for, no, the city paid for it. The city paid for it. And let me tell you, I got nothing but praise for sending my staff, taking 23 people. We loaded up city vans. Some <laughs> people drove themselves. We all stayed in the same hotel. So we were able to hang out. We hung out at the bar. We got, we got to know each other in a different space. We took pictures. Oh my! My board was ecstatic hmm. that we had done that. The mayor's office was ecstatic that we did that. That's a you know professional development is important. So I think part of it is the culture, and I think part of it is if you're going to do it, you better have something to show for it when you get back. So zoom in ahead a little bit because I mean that the reason I. Making this transition, putting the community at the center, professional development, having ideas, looking at the library space not as a as a as a browsing area, but as an action area, if you will. All that sounds great, and mm -hmm. then a pandemic hits, and those doors close. Yep. But the library didn't. Can you talk a little bit about what the library? Or, well, let's start with a really specific question. What's the current status of, of physical uh, access to the library today? So right now we are doing curbside service, uh, which is really going well. Been been extremely well received. Um, we are currently looking at data um, to see who's using our curbside service. Like, what does that demographic look like? 
um, and really kind of drill down. We have, and we also have a software product called Analytics on Demand, mm. which lets us look at not just their race and the gender and where they and their zip code, but also, um, you know, if they have children, if they, you know, if they're if they if they donate on a regular basis, it's it's the Asperian model where they go in and you know it's like they're between 12 and 24 and they you know the blah blah new families you know you get to categorize everybody so we're in the process of looking at who actually is utilizing this service um but for now i'm happy with it's very well received and the and the staff have managed it really well but what we did i'm learning that my staff have to talk through everything ad nauseum um, until the horse is not just dead, but it's buried. <laughs> and that's very frustrating for me. But what we, we were, so we, we got, I got the phone call on Thursday, on a Thursday afternoon, that six o'clock close of business on Friday, we would no longer allow the public in the buildings, but the staff would report for work. I mean, it was that fast. Yeah. Boom. So by the next week we had, digital backup but we had we moved our programming digitally we started but what we did was we put teams together like when I we went all in all the administrative staff we went in on Saturday because it was going to be weird and we wanted to be there and da, 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 da. and what we ended up doing was putting teams together so it was so it was like okay we need a programming team how are we going to do this digitally what do you need what do we have who can do it who has the skill sets etc cetera, etc cetera. you're the programming team okay we're going to need a team um, that's going to help us figure out what's it going to look like when we reopen? How do we go to curbside service? How do we phase this in? And we had very little information about what was happening with the pandemic, and the information that we did get changed constantly. So adjusting the staff to whatever I tell you right now is true, but it may not be 15 minutes from now. It could, And, and you're going to have to just roll with that. You're just going to have to just roll with it. So we put teams together um to to help to get everybody together and start talking about looking forward what are we going to do looking forward and so about two weeks later everyone went home it just like by the first week so we closed to the public on friday by tuesday i sent 80 percent of my staff home by the following tuesday and so they kicked the programming group kick-started and i had a pr person who had social media experience, who understood how that stuff worked, who understood how to measure it. You know, it, what was, here's, so here's what I, what, what happened, but it was not intentional, was we've been, our business has been building and planning for this for the last five or six years. We just didn't know it. Hmm. We really didn't know that that's what we were doing. So it's like making decisions. We made decisions five, six, seven years ago that said all of our technology equipment will work. It will be changed out on a regular schedule. We will not wait for something to die to replace it. Its lifespan is expected to be three years. We will trade two and a half years in, we're buying new ones to trade it out, right. both for the staff and for the public. So we want to, so I was able to send everyone home with a laptop, right? And if you didn't have internet access, I had hotspots. Hmm. Okay, so we could move everybody, so moving people home, just 
sign out, sign it out, here's your equipment, sign it out, off you go. Then last year, the state gave us, out of nowhere, the, uh, the, the state librarian called me, checked Cheryl and said, call me in early May and said, if I gave you $100,000 tomorrow, could you spend it by, by the end of, by June 30th? And I said, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I said, you can even give it to me the, the, the day after tomorrow and I'll, I'll get that spent for you. We use that money almost exclusively for electronic books, mm. ebooks. We really built our digital collection, but we've been building our digital collection all along. This really gave us, like, we really put some love into that collection from that 100000 So now all of a sudden, we had content. And who was the guy who just died? That content, content, content is king. If you don't have content... You got nothing. Redstone? Right? Sumter Redstone? Redstone? Yeah. 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 Off side, but that's a good thing. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so we were actually prepared to do this, right? And then, so got everybody home, blah, blah, blah. But then we created teams who worked phones from home. We pushed all of our phone systems to people's um, cell phones, gave them a cell phone stipend. You're going to take calls on and this is the number you call if you need help downloading to your Kindle. This is the phone number you call if you need help to do this. Then the thing that could never, ever, 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 ever be done, according to my staff, in the eight years I have been here, there is just no way, no way that we can do online, not in person, library card. Issue, issue them or renew them. It was impossible. Could not. Nope, 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 nope. Well, lo and behold, lo and behold. We go home, everybody's working, and they said, we're getting all these phone calls about wanting to renew their cards and wanting to do this. And I said, well, can we do that? Of course we can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. That shoot. So they had that figured out in like 24 hours, that impossible task. So, then all, so now all of a sudden, like, we got more library members in this period of time than we've ever gotten. Well, you know? I and you'd mentioned more participation in new virtual programming. Oh my, oh my God. So then the, uh, our um, programs went live. And what we, what, so what happened? And oh my God, we have parents sending us pictures of their kids, like, so happy to see Miss Claire. And he's so happy to see Miss Hallie. Because we used our people, the people that those kids see all the time, right? They know who they are, et cetera, et cetera. We just said, do the same freaking story time you would have done in the building and just video it. And then our PR person would upload it to Facebook and off it would go, right? But what really kicked us into high gear was when um, Les the actor Leslie Jordan is from Chattanooga. And Leslie Jordan was in town during the shutdown to be with his mom, right? Well, one of my librarians, I believe it was Miss Claire, dated Leslie Jordan <laughs> in middle school and they were each their first kiss. So I'm like, you need to call him. <laughs> you need to call this man. Uh-huh. Like, and is there anyone out there who has a middle school or high school indiscretion that they would care to share <laughs> that we can leverage at this particular time? Please call me. Um, and Leslie Jordan was lovely and he did a couple of story times for us and then introduced, you know, I'm doing this for the Chattanooga public library and he was just very gracious, but, um, he also added it to his Instagram site 
And he got incredible popularity during this time for his, um, his, his Instagram posts. So all of a sudden, we have people who have now found us who are outside of Chattanooga. Hmm. Like, we've got folks from other states. We've got folks. We have someone from Scotland. Friggin' like, what? Have, we're like, what? Like, what's that about? So he gave us the boost we needed. We never, ever got back to those numbers. I mean, I think the first time we ran his story time, I think we had 100,000 views. Wow. Right? So, I mean, and that's an obviously an anomaly. Um, But we kept a lot of those new viewers, which I thought was interesting. So so we we did see a peak and then we saw it level off, but but it still stayed really high. I mean, we're still getting, like, I've got story times that are getting three and 4,000 views. I mean, it's, that's nuts, you know? I'm not getting that in the building. You know, they're like, oh, we had 25 kids, yay! Right, right. No, you got 3,000 views, baby. (laughs) Like, you know? So, so anyway, and then we hit the oversaturation point recently, where we're starting to watch that we were providing too much content into social media. So we were we were we were oversaturating the market. What does that mean? That there was just not enough people. You're dividing the number of people watching different things, or? Well, we were no longer that interesting. Oh, there was too much stuff, you know. Because then we opened it up. Oh, we also do we do we do a virtual craft with beers, <laughs> craft craft beers. So like you. You can come through through um, through the curbside delivery and pick up all of your materials for your craft, and then you go home and and, and like this Sunday um, they're actually moving into craft cocktails, and they'll have a bartender who's showing you how to make these cocktails while you make these paper lanterns. It's so, yeah. So I mean, that's a a fundamentally interesting idea to me, um, which was. I know when you know when we talk about the physical facilities closing, a lot of people talked about ebooks and e-lending, and that was clearly the first thing that libraries said. All right, we can still do this, and yeah. then as they moved ahead, talking about programming and story times, and and it began thinking of others, and then as we're moving slowly to reopening, um, curbside, curbside. But mm-hmm. I have to say, and I'm not saying that my limited experience should not be taken as as the truth, but this is one of the first times I've heard about the idea of directly linking the physical curbside service and circulation in a pandemic time to the programming at the same time and truly creating a new service model that you're doing. That's fascinating. And let me tell you, at least at my downtown location, curbside is not going away. Hmm. When I reopen, no, because all I've heard since I have been here, and from the and from what I understand historically, from the day that building was built, there is no parking garage. Right. So there is this constant: there is no parking, and it's like no, there's plenty of parking around this building. It just costs money, and it's not right at the front door. But no, there's plenty of parking. So this is a way for me to solve that problem. Hmm. Drive up and get it. You don't have to park. And so our there's a real monopoly on public parking here in Chattanooga. It's run by one company. And when I went to them to see if, because there's a parking garage right behind the building, but it's privately owned. And I said, hey, if I can get tickets for 15 minutes or less, will you just give them to me for free? And they're like, no, we'll send you a bill. <laughs> Thanks. You can pay for their parking. So, um, 
so yeah, this to me is a solution to something that people have been complaining about since 1976. Hmm. And we've ordered tents. It's like friggin' festival out there. You got a tent. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. You can't miss this. Um, but yeah, so it's like if you need something, we'll we'll just yeah, you put it in a little paper bag with their name on it. Here's your and here's the, all you for your craft. And another example of listening to the community, right? Which is you know it started with well. The pandemic says we we have you know curbside service is one of the things we can do. Hey, wait a minute! The community likes this and it answers a long term problem. That's another thing. Now you know circulation becomes very community oriented in its modalities. And, yeah. hmm. I mean, you, you know what? You've got to roll with it. Like you got to pay attention and you and you and you have to roll with it. You you really really do. Now the thing that like I said, what, now what we're going to do with the oversaturation. This has only been this has been a conversation we started this week. Well, it actually started last week, but I got in the middle of it this week. So we're gonna get the purpose of Facebook and Instagram and all this other stuff is not to deliver programming. The best place for that is YouTube. So we've just gotten the whatever it is so that we have our own YouTube channel, right? So we're gonna move all of this into a YouTube environment. And now that everything's try starting to settle down, I have too many people engaged in programming, hmm. right? So we're trying to find reset. We're having to reset that balance, right? I don't. I need people for curbside, but I have to do my program. And oh, 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 you know. So we're trying to reset that. So what we're working on right now is moving our programming onto a YouTube channel, treating it like old age TV. So our, our I think our, our, our login is is chat library tv is for youtube and i want them to do it just like you did the old tv remember the old tv guides yeah right okay so here's the other thing we've archived all of this digital programming is all archived and the thing is is that my youth librarians all they want to do is original content and i'm like it's twinkle twinkle little star <laughs> no one's getting an emmy <laughs> no one's getting a Tony. Like, it's not. I don't. I know it's. I know it's a whole different take on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. But we have five Twinkle Twinkle Little Star programs in the hopper, and we're good, right? So getting them in. If you start thinking about it as TV, I'm like, and I told them I wrote it on the whiteboard. I'm like, we. I was in the bill. I'm like, I'm writing on the whiteboard. I'm like. Used to be a, a, a TV series had 25 episodes. I said, today, you're lucky if they have eight, right? I said, so think about it. Let's inventory what we have archived, figure out which ones were really the big hits. Yep. And I said, you rerun them. People are used to reruns. People are watching Friends and all this other crap. And I said, and do the little thing where it says, you know, Rachel falls in love with Ross. Featuring Jennifer Aniston. I said, instead you can say, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine featuring Miss Claire. And it's archived on YouTube, so if someone wants to go do something else, you're not stopping them. Right. And then you can also say, you know, oh, follow the new series on blah, 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 whatever it is that they got going on. So now, oh, new series out. Starts Monday. Yay. So really creating a, a TV channel and a TV guide. Um, with the idea of how they do TV programming with original content, original series, one-offs. This is a special. 
Right. We have a Valentine's Day special, you know, <laughs> and then reruns. So, so that's where that's where this is headed right now. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm for for better or worse, I really have got to create a programming team, and it has to like that they that they are focused on this, and that it's not just about their programs. You right. know, it has to be a system thing. But also, we're talking about moving forward when we do reopen. It's kind of like you can have the the theater play environment where you could see it live or you can watch it at home on YouTube. Right. Kind of like what they did with Hamilton. Right. You know, that worked. You know, you're not you're you're the the second person that that I've heard make the following comment which is during the pandemic when staff was at home or or at least working not working sort of public access they've become they really enjoy and want to do more content creation that that you know we they become content creator and they like it and you're also by the way not you're also the second director i've heard which says and that leads to i mean it's a good issue but it's an issue which is you know the idea that we still have other things that aren't content creation particularly as we begin the public facility opening again and how do you how do you like build on that enthusiasm and yet at the same time make sure you you're doing the job so and that's going to be hard because here's the other thing okay the people who some not all i have some people who are love creating content that's not very good mm. and takes them three times as long as my programming stars for right. lack of a word right so how do you tell them, you know, well, I know you love it, but <laughs> it's not, this is not Netflix. We don't green light everything. Yeah. Right. And you get canceled. Yeah. You know, and so one of the things that we are doing with our programs is we are looking at, um, uh, it, one of the things with, with social media that Christina, my PR person is really good at is what was just a passive, you know, pass of looking at something versus like really engaged and, and liked and commented and did all this kind of stuff. And, and, and really saying like, you know, most viewers, most engagement to identify, these are the people mm -hmm. we need who are really affected. And, you know, and we don't, can't, we can't have everyone doing it. So unfortunately, you know, if you didn't get the viewers, I can't fund you. I'm not funding this again. Right. So one of the big dilemmas I'm facing right now is Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. So I have two people who do Dungeons and Dragons programs that when I looked at how much time is spent planning <laughs> them, how many people actually attend, it turns out it's the same six people every week right? Or every other week, whenever it is, it's done. This costs me $54 per person to produce Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. My story times cost me seven cents. And I'm like, I can't afford you anymore. Mm. And I can't afford, it's a niche program. You know, it's the same people, it's the same group of, and it's like, we serve everyone. 
We serve everyone. And I told him, if you were a database, you'd be gone. If I had a database that cost me $54 per person for access, I'd be like, that's why I got rid of all the, remember those auto mechanic manuals? Right. Those? And then they went online, right? And then you had, and I would look at the numbers and I'm like, I got three mechanics in the community who come in and look at this. And I'm like, this is costing me $60 a person. I can't, we can't afford that. I can't afford that. Hmm. So, you know, you have to make decisions and it's, and it, and that's a really very non, very objective way to look at it. Hmm. You know, it takes you 12 hours to produce a program that lasts two and you have six people. Yeah. Do the math. So just being one of very conscious of your time, bringing this one last question to, to bring us to the end, because in this discussion where you're talking about dollars per yeah. member served before you were talking about um you know databases how much how many people are accessing this throughout this you've made well you talked about the different software that you're using on the collection different software you're using in terms of curbside service being community centered bringing the community into the middle does not mean is not a purely warm and fuzzy whatever they want kind of let's just play it by ear it it also has to be accompanied by assessment by metrics by a sense of accountability if you will in there absolutely absolutely and you know i love that we are essentially a nonprofit. so profit is not our you know we're not always looking we're not looking to generate revenue right which is how i did my coffee shop i'm not making money here it's value added Mm -hmm. right um, I just want it to pay for itself. Um, but I do have to have sound business practices. And there's a point where, and then you end up over, if you do everything without evaluating it, you overstretch your staff. And it's just like we oversaturated the market in Facebook, right? So our numbers started to drop. Like, too much of a good thing. Hmm. Too much is not good. I mean, you want, I want to produce high-quality programming that the community wants and will look at and will engage in. And that doesn't mean because Susie Q loves to crochet and her six friends will come to her crochet class uh, every Thursday night and she wants the friends to buy cupcakes for it. Doesn't make that a good community program. Hmm. That's a niche. We don't do niches. At least I don't. Hmm want to serve as many people as possible well and this is this is an opportunity though that turned to the community right the idea of having six knitters in the library or using zoom provided by the library etc that's fine it's it's your main your main resource is staff right that's that's your main cost and so right and the more that you can bring in the community right so dungeons and dragons if you could find a dungeon master in the community to come in let us know how we can support you. And you, if you want to do Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and your, you know, grandmother yep. reading to your, that's fine. We can provide that platform. And so you can extend it, but it ha- has to be the community participating. So we do a Friday night bedtime story time that is um, uh, somebody from the community. It's always every Friday night at six o'clock. We have a community bedtime program, and um, we've pulled from, like, it started with Leslie Jordan, 
right? Here's a famous person. And then, then we started finding like the mayor did one and we had somebody, you know, from my board did it and had his grandson there. It was all about baseball. And, um, and those bedtime stories, like our fire chief did one, he got over a thousand views. Hmm. I mean, it was like, I'm like, man, what the heck? Like you're hot, like you're on it. You're like a freaking star, right? So, so yeah, it's, so now the community comes in and they record it and they just send the file to us. They do it from their homes, they go outside. We had a gentleman who did one in a park, you know, I mean, so yeah, but, and those are our um, big feature special program on Friday night at six o'clock. Next week on a very special Chattanooga Public Library. (laughs) And and I forget they call it, it's not like a, it's a, um, but it's a featured it's a featured bedtime story time every Friday night at six. <laughs> and it's phenomenal. Like I said, the freaking fire chief got a thousand views. Like and I was I was like, what the heck? Well, and you can do that whereas if he were doing it on the fire department website, who would ever even know kind of thing. So right. being a platform to allow the community to find those kind of resources. But then we also the other fun thing they did was um our um Chattanooga Department of Transportation got some big fancy new truck that they were, oh, they were so proud of it. They've been trying <laughs> to get for years, right? You know what it's like? I mean, oh, it was like, a, you know, this $150,000 truck. And it was like, oh, look at our truck. We got this new truck. They did story time from the truck, right? So they're like, you know, they got truck books. Like, <laughs> we, got truck. we got a new truck. Right? So, <laughs> Yeah, so we brought in and like the firemen, they had the they they did the sirens and they wore the uniforms and they rode that you could see the truck rolling down the thing and you know and and so yeah, but but you bring them in and do it and they're as as popular if not more popular than the ones that the really that the staff stars do right? right and we don't all they do is send it to us we upload it boom yeah. so. Corrine Hill, thank you so much for your time and sharing what you're doing. Um, always a great time to keep up and, and catch up with what you're doing. So uh, thank you very much. I hope I helped because, you know, I love to talk about this stuff and I can wander off. So. <laughs> I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're in the game. We're in the game and it's going to be OK and, and it's going to be different. And 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 that's going to be OK, too. Yeah. It really is. It's. It's, it's just going to be different, but it's going to be great. 